Listen, it's good to be here tonight. I've really struggled about what to do. I know it's the first time I've been here. A lot of people like to hear your testimony, how you come to know the Lord. I always tell our graduates, we now have over 130-something graduates in 22 different countries, and God just keeps opening the door. I often tell the young men to go in, I have an opportunity to preach. I said, most people, the pastor, I said, as a pastor, uh, I said, I'd like to hear a man know, how, know that he's saved and how he got saved. And I like to hear a man that knows that God's called him to preach and what God's called him to do, and he's doing it. And I thought about giving my testimony, but uh, that gives a little bit of our testimony. Uh, we may share a couple of things, and, uh, but I do want to share some things with you from the Word of God. If you'll turn your Bible to Acts 13, and I'm going to make a couple of statements. I appreciate the pastor letting us come. And, of course, we went to the West Indies in 1974 as missionaries. Our home church, we did not do a survey. We knew God wanted us to work with the Caribbeans in Dominica. We didn't have a visa. We bought one-way tickets. We didn't go do a survey. We didn't, didn't even have a visa, to be honest with you. When we got there, they didn't have to let us in. But our home church sent us there, and they sent us barrels of food every six months, and we left. And, uh, of course, we were there in Dominica, started uh, some churches there. Then the Lord moved us to Puerto Rico. And uh, this coming January the 17th, we constituted what is Calvary Baptist Tabernacle 40 years ago. And uh, we really struggled. We love Dominica. Dominica is still a very much undeveloped island. Uh, they still don't have lights on the runway. They still don't have any red lights in the little town. Uh, somebody said if Columbus came back to the Caribbean, that would be the only island he'd recognize. And that's probably true. It hadn't changed that much. But God moved us to Puerto Rico, I know now, you know, hindsight is better than farsight, to start what is Calvary Baptist Tabernacle uh, Bible College. And then there was another college in St. Vincent that was started by Baptist mid-missionaries about 65 years ago. And some Dr. Lara got into that college and almost destroyed it and closed it. Uh, but a little over a year and a half ago, we became uh, involved in that and now overseeing uh, the ministry there. So we have the only two colleges that are in the Caribbean training nationals there. So we appreciate you praying uh, for those ministries. I've talked to the pastor and youth pastor about bringing some young people down and doing some mission work. And uh, of course now there's a lot of things going on. Uh, there's a ministry of Brother uh, Perrier was a retired Navy uh, officer and God called him for the Caribbean and God give him a it's a ship, like a Coast Guard a cutter, and right now it's being filled with grain to take to Haiti and, uh, and work there, and then it'll be stationed there in the Caribbean. And we'll also be able to use that for medical missions, and then when evangelistic teams come down, uh, they can sleep there. We can sleep 24 on the ship, and then uh, that saves a lot of hotel bills. We can feed people there. A lot's going on in the Caribbean. And so I want you to pray about it and maybe uh, come down and visit. We'd love to have you come. How many has ever been to the Caribbean? Anyone in here? Okay. This brother lived in St. Croix, didn't you, Pastor? Okay. Somebody raise your hand again. Where, where was you all at, brother? On a cruise? In the Bahamas. Okay. With, with uh, who? Dave Adams? Well, he was not. Anyway, there's, there's several there. Okay. But anyway, uh, that's, uh, we'd love to have you come down and uh, just see what God is doing being a part of the ministry. i tell you what, I, it's good to be here. Aren't you glad to go to a church where God's welcome? Amen. I mean, I, I, I like the way you enjoy coming to church. 
And, uh, of course, I cut my teeth on wind-sucking preaching. If you're down from the south, you know what I'm talking about, okay? This brother's shaking his head. How many of you have heard good wind-sucking preaching? All right. Some of you have, some of you have had, some of you did scare you if you heard it. So, anyway, you heard about this, you heard about, you heard about this lady, you know, I mean, she, you know, now, listen, it's nothing for us to see people wave their handkerchief and say, well, glory, praise the Lord, and have a good time in church. That, that doesn't scare me, Amen. But you heard about this lady, you know, uh, her son went away and moved to this uh, city, and, and uh, he, he went to a church, he, got, he went and joined the church, wasn't nothing like where he grew up, and his mother wanted to come and visit him. And so uh, he said, uh, he was really worried because his church, where he went to, wasn't nothing like one he grew up in. So he told his mom, he said, now mom, he said, uh, I want you to know our church is a lot more reserved than your church. Because his mother always got that hankery out, and she'd always shout and thank the Lord. And uh, so he said, now, Mom, I want you to understand, it won't be anything like your church, but uh, we, we're going there, and we like it. And she said, I'd like to go, son. So uh, she went, and sure enough, it, it, was, it was there. I mean, she thought she was in a funeral. I mean, it was just that dead. Well, about two-thirds of the way through, she got her handkerchief out and started waving it. And said, glory to God, praise you, Jesus. Man, her son thought, what in the world is mom shouting about? So after they got home, he said, Mom, I know you shout and, and wave your hands in nearly every service, but I know the church where they do, you get excited. But she said, he said, why was you shouting and waving your handkerchief in our service? She said, son, I'm so glad I don't have to come to a church like this every Sunday. I just had to shout about it. So, so anyway, so anyway, that won't. Somebody said saying "Amen" to a Southern preacher is like saying "Sick him to a hound dog," you know. Uh, you know, I, I really, you know, we've been preaching now for over 50 years, and uh, you know we've. We preach a lot, obviously, and of course we've got ministries we go to a lot and travel a lot. It's not a matter, do you have an outline or do you have a sermon, but you want to have a message. And I can tell this is a New Testament local church. Amen. And, but you know, there's a lot of churches. You can be an independent, fundamental, premillennial, missionary, Baptist church and not be in name and not be a New Testament local church. You know that, right? I want you to stand with me and uh, just for a few moments... And we're going to read a few verses in Acts 13. But before I get there, uh, now I stepped down as the senior pastor of the church. I'm still the president of the college and over the ministry and part of the college in St. Vincent. And, of course, we have ministries in Africa. and We have a large children's home we're involved with in Bolivia, several churches there. And so I do travel a lot. We're just beginning a new adventure. We have a three-year plan. Uh, that we're in starting New Testament local churches there in the Caribbean, so I want you to pray about that. But I stepped down as the senior pastor there, and, and uh, Pastor White took over, so I still preach there some. He let me uh, preach the other, other uh, a few weeks ago. Dr. Dudley, the dean of our college, you, you saw him on there, and uh, he said, well, I miss Pastor uh, getting up and having a stand, uh, and, but, and said, uh, we always wondered how long his induction, introduction was going to be because we had to stand. We were tired. So I kind of built a reputation. I promise I'll not be that long. But you know the gospel is for the world. And we know the Great Commission was given to the local church. And Acts 1.8, and you don't have to turn there. You're familiar with the verses. Uh, but it simply said, and he said unto them, 
you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And you've heard this, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, you've heard that, and I'm sure you've been drawn the attention that the word both is what draws all of those places together. He didn't say evangelize Jerusalem, and then when you get to Jerusalem, evangelize. Go to Judea, and when you get Judea evangelized, go to Judea, and when you get Judea, then go to Samaria, and then go to the uttermost parts of the world. That is not what that verse said. That word both, he said, at the same time you're evangelizing your Jerusalem, I want you to be in Judea. At the same time you're in your Judea and your Jerusalem, I want you in Samaria. And at the same time you're in evangelizing Jerusalem, your Judea, your Amen. Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now we know that the day of Pentecost was empowering the church to fulfill that great commission. And that was in Acts 1.8. But when you get to Acts 8.1, they're still in Jerusalem. And I'm sure you've heard that said, but I just want to read it before I go to chapter 13. But in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, we find this. And it's amazing how God used Paul. The Bible said in Saul was consenting unto uh, his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time, there were great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. That's the local church. They were still in Jerusalem. And of course, we know that God's going to do his work. If not the way we he, uh, do his way, and his will will be accomplished. I'm just making a statement, and I'm sure you understand this. There is a sovereign will that man cannot alter. That's right. But yet man had, God has chosen to delegate man to a responsibility of obeying him. Now those are two great doctrines that's in the Bible. And uh, someone said, how do you reconcile them? You don't have to reconcile friends. They're all right. right. You don't have to reconcile those two doctrines. They're friends, all right? But God's will is the gospel to be taken to the world, if not through us, through another. And he has his way. And we see his way here. And the Bible said in the latter part of verse 8, and they were scattered abroad, listen to this, throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, and, uh, and uh, the Jerusalem, Ju- uh, Judea, and Samaria, except for the apostles. Now, I have to say this, and I hope it's not insulting. I'm not being uh, judgmental, but that was not a New Testament practicing church. They were still in Jerusalem. But when you get to Acts 13, I want to read the first four verses. And I'll give you four words, I believe, that identifies what a New Testament local church is in practice. In Acts 13, the Bible said in verse 1, And now there were at the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucy of Serena and Manny, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetra and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent went forth by the Holy Ghost and departed to Cilia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Father, we thank you for this day and allowing us to be here with this people. What a wonderful spirit 
it is here. And I'm sure, Lord, like our congregation and many others throughout, uh, Lord, our country, uh, it's been difficult not being able to assemble together, as you've told us in your word. And I could sense even today with the choir and, and more people here, uh, Lord, we're grateful for the freedom we have. May we not give it up. Yes. Lord, I pray tonight, I know this is a New Testament practicing local church that we can just encourage them and be a blessing to them to continue doing. Lord, you're doing your work through your people that yield to thee. Speak to our hearts as only God can speak to hearts of men and women, boy and girl, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I said, I hope I didn't have you stand too long, uh, but I wanted to live up to my reputation. No, I'm teasing. I want to say I'm glad that I know that God has a perfect plan and a perfect will for each one of our lives, and I believe the lives of a local church. I cannot say this because uh, without thinking when I use the word perfect will. Now, I said I didn't come up in a Christian home, and uh, after I come to know the Lord, I want to hear preaching. I don't care who was preaching, what is preaching, I want to go hear preaching. And I'll never forget the first time I ever heard Brother Sammy Allen preach. Uh, Brother Sammy Allen, if you haven't ever heard him preach, and do pray for him, he is, he's doing much better. He's in ICU, he's on a ventilator. I don't know if he's still on that, but they said he was responsive some. But Brother Sammy Allen, you know, he walked when he preached, and sometimes he'd run when he preached. And, and, uh, but he would, he, would, uh, he would get real, real red in his face. So I'll stay up here, okay? Did I, am I supposed to turn this thing on? Yeah, that would help. That would help, okay. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not a technology man at the church. They give me one already on and just mute it. And so uh, I'll, uh, I'll just, uh, now I'm on. All right. Can you hear me now? That sounds like a commercial, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. I'm sorry about that, brother. Anyway, anyway, I forgot where I was at, so let me start over again. No, I won't start all over again. 
But uh, when I said that, when you come to Acts 13, I believe you see what a New Testament local church is in practice. And I, I say this and I, because we see them doing what he said to do in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And so I want to give you four words tonight. It'll be very easy to follow because I believe these four words demonstrate or illustrate a New Testament local church in practice. First word I want to give you, and it's a very easy word to remember, the word inconvenience. You say, where do you get that at in those four verses? Well, let me read verse 2 and verse 3, and I'll give you the word that I'm going to use for that. The Bible said it as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Then notice again in verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed. Why did he use the word fast and pray? Are they not the same? No, they're not the same. Uh, you see, oftentimes when, and I use the word fasting, I will use the word with this convenient, I mean uh, 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 inconvenience. I use that word because fasting does call, is more than just giving up food. It does include that at times, but may I say unto you, there's some people that have uh, physical problems that they cannot fast because maybe uh, they're a diabetic and they have to eat. Does that mean they can't fast? No, there's more things to fasting than just giving up food. What I want to share with you here, the Bible said in as they fasted. In other words, they were willing to be inconvenient in their life to know the will of God and to do the will of God. Now may I make an application here. Getting involved in God's work and getting the gospel to the world is going to cause some inconveniences in our lives. Uh, you know, most of us, and I include myself this because I'm still in the flesh. I don't know if you have problems with your flesh, but I still have problems with my flesh. And most of the time, we don't mind serving the Lord and getting involved in His work if there's no inconvenience in getting involved in serving the Lord and doing His work. Uh, turn your Bibles just for a moment back to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 16, and let me read a couple of verses here. And uh, when the Lord is talking about the cross, He's not talking uh, to His disciples, He's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about what it would cost us to follow him. And he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. How many of us like to deny yourself? Oh, come on, surely somebody's spiritual love won't do that. <laughs> but that's part of it. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, you know what the cross means. The cross means death. And what he's simply saying, if you're going to uh, follow me and serve me, then he, he, he said it's going to cost you to deny yourself and uh, put flesh to death. Then he said in verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his, uh, lose his life for my sake shall find him. Now what is he saying? You know, we don't preach a lot on the cross anymore. And I'm not talking about the cross where he paid for our sins. I mean, I'm sure, and, and I, listen, I, 
I never get tired of hearing the songs about the old rugged cross and about the blood. But what about the cross of dying to self? You see, when it comes to the work of God, beloved, there and getting the gospel uh, to, through our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the world all at the same time, it's going to take some inconvenience. It's going to cost something. You say, and, and many people will say, uh, Pastor, I, I want to I serve and I want to do this. And as long as it's not inconvenience, they'll usually do that. But you let some uncon, uh, inconvenient things happen and come up and all of a sudden uh, they're not as willing to serve as they would. You know, how many of you know the uh, the difference between a hand offering and a heart offering. Would you raise your hand? How many of you? Oh, how many of you would like to know the difference between a hand offering and a heart offering? Would you raise your hand? I'm not taking up an offering. Go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> Come on now. I'm not going to trick you. But here's the difference between a hand offering and a heart offering. You know, I appreciate the pastor. I sat, I sat this morning and listened to the brother y'all had preach, and he blessed my heart. I told my wife, I said, he not only identified with us. Can I come down now, brother? I'm, I'm still on. Okay. I, he not only identified, he not only ministered to us, but I told my wife, I said, God has given him a gift of communication and ability to reach young people. I enjoyed listening to him, and I know young people could. And he was dealing with all, and, and ministering, and he's stepping out by faith. Did you hear what he said this morning? They sold their house to buy a place <laughs> so they wouldn't have a house payment to fix it up. Now, he's a, he started, listen, by faith doing camps, and camps are shut down. And there's not a lot of money in that. Did you see a man that looked like he was worried up here this morning? I didn't. I'll be honest with you. It, it blessed my heart. Matter of fact, when I saw their four little kids, I thought about our four <laughs> when we started, we left. And uh, I appreciate the pastor taking up an offering for him. I mean, uh, because they're living by faith. And the pastor, he didn't present a particular need. He just said that. But they had needs. And, you know, you, know, you have a missionary come. How many of you have ever had a missionary come and didn't have a need? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> okay, so you've had all kinds of missions. You've had them here. So the pastor gets up and he said, all right, we're going to have a... We're going to take up an offer. We're going to meet this need, and, and uh, we just want you to give And as we take up the offer to meet the need. Well, how many of us know of a Baptist church that doesn't take up offerings? How many of us have ever had? Now, you don't raise your hand on this one. But how many of us know they're going to take up offerings? And so on the way to church, you realize all you got is a $20 bill. Now, this is my sermon. Don't get ahead of me. So you stop. And say, I need to break this $20 bill because I know they're going to take up an offer. <laughs> so you go in and you buy a pack of gum. You don't even chew gum. <laughs> but that's the cheapest thing you could buy to break up that $20 bill. And so you get your gum and you put it in one pocket and you put, to, you know, you put your ones in one pocket and you put the 10 and the 5 in the other pocket, you know. And so it comes time to take up the offering and you reach in the pocket you think it's the $1 pocket. And you pull it out, and oh no, it's the ten. Well, the guy's taking up the offerings there. You can't change and get the one. 
bow in your hand, <laughs> you drop in the ten. But in your heart, it was the one. And God said he only gave one. But let's reverse that. The pastor says we're going to take up the offering. And if everybody would give $10, we'd have this need. And here's a dear saint of God. All she has is a dollar. And she said, oh, I wish this was a 10. But she drops that $1. God said her hand had a 10. Her hand had a 1, but her heart had a 10. And then what he said to the widow, he said, she's gave all. Why? Compared to what was given, she gave little. All right, let me give you the second point. I told you four words. Listen, I asked the pastor what time I was supposed to quit, and he said, give me that, so he'll give me that. No. <laughs> let me give you the second word. I said the first word is inconvenient. It had to do with fasting. The second word I want to give you is intercession. It has to do with praying. Notice again in Acts 13, verse 2, he said, I mean, verse 3, he said, and as they fasted and prayed... Now, you, you look up these words, and words have different meanings. And this word has to do an intercessory praying. An intercessory praying is more than just praying. Now, you go, and I listen, you go to Timothy, and Timothy gives us an order of public worship service. Uh, we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to sing, and we're supposed to hear the word. And when you pray in public... Uh, that's not the time to catch up on your prayer meeting. I was reading a statement by Charles Spurgeon one time. He called on this brother to pray, and this brother started praying. He started praying. He got up, and he said, Folks, let's turn to page 101 and sing while this brother catches up on his prayer life. Now, that is the order of public, public praying. You, you pray for the need. But this praying is intercessory prayer. And may I, may I say unto you, that is far different than just a simple word of prayer that is taking time to pray by name, pray by need, and, and call out and take them to the throne of grace. And, and uh, listen, may I say to you, I look at your mission board, and I, I hope you pray for them by name and where they're at. We do this at our church. We can't do it anymore. Used to on Wednesday night, I would... I would get up, we'd take Wednesday night, we'd always have a prayer time, and I would, uh, I would call, I would say, I'd call out a country. And somebody would give us a name of our missionaries in that country. Sometimes I would call out a, a name, and they would give me the country where they were at. But uh, we, you know, I would simply say something like this, Alaskan. Somebody would, I don't know if y'all, anybody up here knows Nick Serino up in Alaska or not, but uh, he was one of the first missionaries we took on in Puerto Rico many, many, 40 years ago. And I would call out a country. But listen, I've gone into churches and I, uh, that have supported me. And, and I'd sit down and people would come up and they'd, uh, they'd say, introduce themselves. Glad to have you here. Are you visiting? I said, uh, yeah, what's your name? I'd give them a name. They said, well, glad to have you. They've been supported. I know they hadn't prayed for me. Didn't even know my name. Are you listening? I mean, right now, this is not going to be a test. I have no idea who you support. But if I called out a name, would you know where they're at? Would you know where the country is? 
And so it's good to have your missionaries and their country and their wives' name and how many children they have and, and pray for them. Listen, turn your Bibles. Notice this over in 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 3. If you would, turn there just for a moment. This is partly, a, I would say, a newsletter uh, to the Apostle Paul is sending. And, and uh, he uh, sends this letter back in, in uh, first Thess- 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. And he said, finally, brethren, pray for us. They don't say, God bless our missionaries around the world. He said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not the faith. Now, Paul just didn't want the church at Thessalonica as he's writing uh, to say, put me on your prayer list, but he said, pray specifically for this. And we need to, listen, how many prayer letters, and we send out prayer letters, uh, do we really read and pray for that? You see, I'm talking about a New Testament practicing local church. They're willing to be inconvenienced in getting the gospel out, but they're willing to enter enter in time of of, uh, intercessory prayer. Colossians, you don't have to turn, but Colossians chapter uh, 4 and verse 3 says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance and to speak the mysteries of Christ for which I am in bonds. Prayer is an essential part of doing God's work. How many of you have ever heard of the Moravian Church? Have anybody ever heard of the Moravian Church? Okay. I'd never heard of the Moravian Church until I went to the West Indies. We had a young man from Antigua come to our Bible college who grew up in a Moravian Church. Well, I was into, I'd never heard of the Moravian Church. It started back in actually the 1400s. How many of you ever heard of a man by the name of John Huss? Would you raise your hand? Well, he didn't start it, but yet there's movements that God starts by men. And, and John Huss, who was actually burned at the stake in, in, uh, on, in July 1415, but out of his commitment to Christ, it started this, this movement that, and it had different names. But uh, what was so interesting is I looked up this, uh, this church, this movement, the Moravian people. They were really more of what we would know today as the brethren. Very, very conservative, very committed. And, and uh, they, uh, but what I, as I was reading and as I was studying a little bit about them and they were so committed... Uh, they had a prayer chain in mission work that fasting 24-7 that lasted for over a hundred years without being broken. They not only, they did go into the world. They even migrated into the states and in the south and they would go in and want to uh, work with the slaves and reach them. And uh, those, who, uh, those who had uh, the landowners would say, we, uh, they, they, they said, we're not going to let you have uh, services and take them away from the work. They said, well, we will come along and work beside them without pay to reach them. That's commitment. 
But what was the driving force behind that uh, uh, all those years and, and uh, reaching people with the gospel? They understood what intercessory prayer and the effect that it had. I don't know if you have seasons of fasting and, and intercessory prayer. I think it's something that we need to really consider and get involved. What I'm saying, I'm saying this local church here in the book of Acts 13, they were a New Testament practice church, number one, because they were a church that was willing to be inconvenient even if it cost them to get the gospel. They were willing to be intercessory in their prayer. But the third word I want to give you is found in verse 3 of Acts 13. Let me read this to you. The Bible said when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. I want to give you the next word that says they identified with them with the work that God called them to. The laying on the hands. What is the symbolic meaning of the laying on of the hands? Well, if you study the Old Testament, you know that it was the practice when the Jewish people would come with their sacrifice. They uh, would bring that sacrifice and they would lay their hands on it and, and confess their sins. And actually, uh, the priest would slit the throat of that animal, that sacrifice. And uh, what it was saying was uh, they were this lamb, this sacrifice, uh, they were identifying that it was dying for them and paying for their sins. It's identification. So what is, the, what is the principle here? God had called Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas to be sent out. And what the local church was doing because they had been willing to be inconvenient. They were willing to intercede. They knew this calling was of God and so now then they come and the church lays their hands on them and what they're saying is we're identifying with you the work that God's called you to do. In other words, your burdens are going to be our burdens. Your battles are our battles. Your heartaches are our heartaches. Your victories are our victories. It was identification. In other words, they weren't just saying it. They were literally identifying with these people. That's serious business. That's serious business. You see, you know, I just had this thought. How would you like to have God entrust this church with a, with a Paul, with a Barnabas, with a Silas, and others? I wonder why he chose the church at Antioch, to give them a Paul and the Silas and the Barnabas. Well, they were New Testament in practice. They would be identified with them. They would be inconvenienced for them. They would be interceding for them. And then the last word, they invested in them. Verse 4 says this, after they had prayed, after they had fasted, after they had laid hands, the Bible said, and they sent them forth. Now, you've got to use your imagination a little bit, all right? They sent them forth what? To take the gospel. 
Now, it says, and from thence they sailed to, what's the word for the uh, Cilicia? Seleucia, okay. Now, how do you think they got there? You think they walked? No, they got on a boat. Now, you think they went down there to the cap of that boat and said, listen, uh, I'm Paul and this is Silas and, and God's called us to take the gospel of the world. And our church at Antioch is sending us and you all are going to Sicilia and we'd like to go on this boat. He said, that'll be $200. Oh, but you don't understand. God has called us. No, you don't understand. That's $200. And that's if you don't want to eat. Are you listening? What am I saying? It takes investment. It really does. You know, somebody said, if you want to kill a Baptist, shoot him in his wallet. (laughs) Bam! He died right there. Amen. You know, I can be an evangelist. I can come in here, dump a load, and leave. He has to stay here. No, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. No, what I am saying, listen, you think about this. They were willing to invest. But I'm going to tell you something. There's some principles, and I want to give you in closing some verses that goes with this principle of investing, and that's a profit from your investing. Now, this is a little humorous. Don't take it out of context. I hope it doesn't offend you. I'm not a prophet nor son of a prophet, but I like to make a profit. <laughs> Amen? Now, we don't give to get to keep. We give to get to give. And that's a profit. Somebody said, listen, God will not give to you what he will give through you if you will be that channel. These people believed because, listen, I believe they had been, they recognized that the Great Commission and he only gave the local church one. And they had a responsibility. The church at Jerusalem, and I hope this doesn't sound wrong, but they had failed. But a New Testament practicing church is willing to be inconvenienced, is willing to, and, and, uh, to intercede, and is, is willing to invest. But may I say unto us, beloved, the investment has dividends. Let me give you the dividends of the investment. Look in chapter 14, verse 26. Paul and Silas had been out, and God had used them greatly, and now they come back to Antioch. The Bible said in verse 26, And from thence they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Now listen, let me tell you something. And I'm sure you've had all this, all this talk to you through the years. Oh, I hope this doesn't sound wrong. But I heard this statement made. I think it was Stenet Blue. I'm, I'm not for sure where I got it, but if you hadn't heard it before, I'll take credit for it. No, I'm teasing <laughs> But made this statement. Missionaries don't need churches. Churches need missionaries. And you say, why? Well, if you study what Paul told the church in Corinthians chapter 8, he said they, they begged us, they entreated us to take this offering. And he was talking about the church at Philippi. Why, Paul? They said, Paul, we can't go. But our Lord said they're to hear the gospel so we can go through you. 
And the only way we can fulfill the Great Commission is by sending others. That's a reality. And the Bible said this church sent them out. And the Bible said by the grace of God, the work that He sent them to do, they fulfill. But verse 27, And when they were come and gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how that He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. Oh, listen, those people who had invested said it was worth our investment. We fulfilled the Great Commission. But I want to close with one more verse. Turn your Bibles over if you would to, I think it's the book, the, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 14, I think. And let me, let me read you something. In, in Mark chapter, chapter 10, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10. Uh, Peter asked this question. And, and the question he asked was not one, Lord, what are we going to get? He wasn't bargaining with the Lord. He asked a simple statement. There's nothing wrong with asking a simple statement. Verse 28, Peter began to say unto the hymn, Lo, we, we've left all in the fall of thee. That wasn't bragging. That was just state, that was stating a fact. And Jesus answered him and said, Listen to this. Verily I say unto you, There's no man that hath left houses, brethren, sister, father, mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospel. But, aren't you glad there's some buts in the Bible? Hmm? Man, aren't you? This, this is a conjunction. There's something going to come from that. But he shall. That's a promise. Not it might happen. Not it. Maybe it shall. He shall receive a hundredfold in this time. Like I told you, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I like a prophet. That's a good prophet. A hundredfold, that's a good prophet. But not at that, not all. And a hundredfold, now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. Oh, he had to put that in there. You know, that's, that's the test of truth. That's the, really a test of truth and commitment. And, and they'll notice this, and in the world to come, eternal life. You can't outgive God. Why did, listen, the church at Antioch was a New Testament practicing church. Why? They, listen, were willing to be inconvenienced. We had lunch today with youth pastor, and it was talking about, man, you all fixed a boom jobs God's going to use this church greater than what you would ever imagine now it's going to take work and you're going to have to be inconvenienced but God listen man aren't you glad God led this brother here to start this church aren't you I mean look look what God has given you and now then he's going to be bringing in thousands of people here to work and this church I don't know listen this time and one more will be twice I've been at this church so I know nothing about this area okay 
But I know some of you's got that. Some of you just now got that. <laughs> I like to say, listen, we have a sign ministry at our church, okay? And then we have somebody translating into Spanish at the same time I'm preaching. So I'm, I'm being translated t- twice. And I'll say things sometimes just to see if they get it. And here's the sign for amen, Pastor. And I'll say things, and I'll look over at them, and they'll say, that encourages my heart. And then, of course, with the, with the Spanish, they translate at the same time. And I, I say things sometimes just to see if you're getting it. Okay? <laughs> you heard about Listen, I, I, had an, I got to close, brother. I, I'm going to quit. I'm, I'm not through, but I'm going to quit. Well, well, I didn't know that was a joke, but I'm glad you laughed. (laughs) Listen, my wife and I, we got married. You know, we went over to her sister's house, and her son was sitting in a chair, and he was sitting there. His eyes was wide open. I did this. I'd never seen anybody sleep with their eyes open. But when I started preaching, I found out there's a lot of Baptists learn how to sleep with their eyes open. So the only way that you know they're awake is if they respond. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Listen, this church, brother, you don't have any problem preaching this pulpit, do you? There's liberty here. There's liberty here. Listen, this is a New Testament local church. I'm sure there's been some inconveniences to build what's here. Pastor, you could look back. And see people that God has sent you that were willing to come alongside and be inconvenient. And there's been some intercessory prayers made. And there's been some investments. This is a New Testament local church. God has some great things in store for you. God bless you, Pastor.